Hello and welcome to the AW Nutrition Podcast. Today I am bringing you episode number three. And you might have come here um, because of the Instagram post that I will have posted this evening. Um, or you might just find this episode randomly. So yeah, anyway. But basically this episode is off the back of an Instagram post and just to kind of create a little bit more context around it. Um I thought it would be easier to talk about it rather than trying to write it all into an Instagram post because, you know, who wants to read a huge caption? So today I'm going to talk about diets and flexibility. And when I say flexibility, I'm talking about flexibility when it comes to food choices. So which diets afford the most food choice? So which diet can you do where you will still be able to pretty much eat all the food that you usually would but of course in moderation as opposed to diets that are create more rules around things so that you kind of have to follow a strict plan that tells you what to eat so this is kind of what I'll be talking through and again this is kind of off the back of a couple of posts and just comments and posts that I see in a lot of Facebook groups that I'm, groups that I'm part of just obviously considering undergoing my own fertility journey I'm, I'm in a load of IVF support groups so I'm very aware obviously of the posts surrounding you know how can I reduce my BMI which diet has worked which diet is best for fertility so I obviously see a lot of the conversation around that and a lot of the things that people have tried that have worked for them, a lot of the things that people, you know, have worked for them, a lot of the diets that have worked for people and they then recommend to other people, um, which is totally understandable because they're obviously trying to help. So yeah, and I just wanted to explain a little bit more context on each diet and I've kind of taken a few days to think about how I can do that and I've kind of written a few different posts about it but I kind of just bored myself a little bit writing just the kind of standard information I just didn't really think it was that helpful considering yeah anyway I just thought in my head I wanted to do something a little bit different so if you have seen the post I basically you know it's basically just like a, a line and explaining starting off you know with what I would consider that's important to mention like obviously that is my take on it and you'll find probably lots of arguments for and against why maybe you could position the diet slightly differently the way that I have but in my opinion this is you know it's a post that shows you basically the diet that is uh, most flexible um, as a po- and then it kind of goes on to what I think is in lesson in flexibility basically to the one that I would consider as the least flexible and I think to start off with just to kind of understand what is a diet so a diet is an approach to help you lose weight in, in the modern context originally the word diet actually comes from a word um, from a Greek word which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, but something similar basically to diets. But it comes from a Greek word and it actually means a way of living or like lifestyle basically. And and in that in that sense, like that is true, you know what I mean? I always talk about that. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't see dieting or losing weight as something that we would just do for a few weeks and then it's over. Like I very much believe that weight management is something is a skill that we need to learn and understand for our life because the likelihood is that the phase that we are currently in we might want to lose weight but you know at other times it might be important to gain a little bit of weight it might be important to understand that maintaining your weight is important um 
you know, let's just think about in the context of fertility and pregnancy, you know, at the moment you might be wanting to lose weight because, you know, you need to reduce your BMI and you've got a few months, you know, ahead, you know, maybe before you can get into the NHS waiting list. So then you, you know, at the moment your focus is losing weight. However, once you're on the NHS waiting list, then you have another few months before your treatment starts maybe. And then you might be looking at, okay, maybe first of all, you might want to lose a little bit extra because, you know, you feel like, oh, you know, I'm already going, so I might as well continue. But then carrying on, you know, and going in the lead up to treatment, you want to increase your calories so that, you know, you're maintaining your weight. So, you know, your body is properly fueled. So then you need to understand how to maintain your weight. Um, let's say, you know, the IVF is successful, you get pregnant again, you know, maintaining weight and towards the latter end of pregnancy, you want to increase um, calories just, you know, for, to support your energy requirements. But then after pregnancy, maybe you have other ideas again, you know, what I mean, maybe you've gained a little bit of weight and you might feel like you want to lose a little bit again etc so you know what I mean so even in this fairly short amount of time and I say short relative in the context of our entire life but just short in the short amount of time of our life there might be several different ways to manage your weight and I've already gone off on a huge tangent so you know welcome to this podcast <laughs> but yeah anyway back to the original um purpose what I was actually trying to say now I remember um what I was actually trying to say with my train of thought so what is a diet so in the context of our kind of modern understanding of a diet it's a way to approach um fat loss weight loss but the fundamental of that is that we need to consume less energy than we expend so calories equals energy yeah so calories is a measure of energy the same as like a kilogram is a measure of weight or a pound is a measure of weight a calorie is a measure of energy and it's a measure of the energy contained in food and basically scientists have come up with a way to to measure the energy in food and that's and we also there's also ways of measuring how the body I suppose uses food even though that is by no means in any way kind of 100% accurate or anything we're always only ever talking about estimates um, because the way to measure calories in food is completely different the way we like our body actually um, uses nutrients but again this is going off in a mega tangent but very interesting topic actually so I will talk about this in another um, podcast but for today and what we just need to understand is like a diet like I said is the fundamentals of that is calories in versus calories out so it means we need to eat less food than we burn food basically or we need to eat less energy in terms of food than we um than we expend on a daily basis so let's just and I just want to make that very clear because I think sometimes we think if we just if we don't eat carbs then it's the carbs that are reducing our fat or our weight but that's not what it is it's just because the reduction in energy from not eating carbs but I'll go into a little bit more detail with that um, going through the different um, diets so to start off with what I've put as the most flexible diet is fasting so fasting can be as simple as not eating breakfast and then just going about your usual day. So for example, if you usually have, I don't know, porridge for breakfast with nut butter, maybe some protein or whatever, or you usually just have, 
yeah I don't know just whatever your breakfast usually is if you just don't eat breakfast every day basically and just go about it and just eat your the lunch the way you usually would eat it and you would eat your dinner the way you usually eat it then that doesn't require cutting out any kind of foods understanding anything about nutrition really um at the very least you know I mean um it doesn't really require any kind of big knowledge all you're doing is just not no longer eating breakfast but doing everything the same so I would say that that is the most flexible in terms of food choice because you don't really have to cut out any foods technically if you wanted to you could just eat your breakfast foods for lunch if you really really love them for example or you know I suppose you know you, you instead of cutting out breakfast you can just cut out lunch or you eat breakfast and lunch and then cut out dinner however way you want to approach it and obviously this is a very this is just one version of fasting there's obviously lots of different ways of fasting there's like the 5-2 diet for example where you um fast for most of the days for two days the, the week so for example you only eat 500 calories worth of food um, and then on other days you just eat the way you would usually do and that can be really useful for people, you know, to, to go about it that way. And I think compared to other diets, um, that can be a good approach. The caveat to that, though, is that sometimes when you don't eat like entire meals, then you then have to obviously deal with um, feelings of hunger for example um, maybe feeling a bit of brain fog maybe feeling a bit low energy for, for a while and if you're not really used to that or if that drives you to then eat more for example if you've cut out your breakfast and then you're ravenous by the time uh, lunch comes and you it drives you to then eat more or just even subconsciously like suddenly like you know you're going to eat a snack in the afternoon when you usually wouldn't have even eaten a snack in the afternoon um, or you would eat a bigger dinner or you're finding yourself that you're hungry before you go to bed etc then maybe fasting is not the right thing for you and that needs to be considered and you'll see that with with every diet you know there's always a caveat there's always something that might not be right for somebody and that's absolutely fine you know that's why there are so many different approaches and that's what they are they are approaches and while I'm describing each diet individually it's also important to see that often what works for one person might be a little bit of everything and it might depend on the day it might depend on the week that they're in it might depend on the phase of their life they're in you know what I mean so just because you might be successful with one approach the first few weeks or right now that doesn't mean like you know that this is what you have to follow for the rest of your life or you would even have to repeat again so yeah anyway um, so the next thing I've written down, so like I said, so the, I would say the most flexible is probably fasting because it doesn't really require any, and we're just talking in the context of weight loss, like we're not talking about what is good for fertility, etc. So just in terms of weight loss, fasting, I would say is probably the most flexible because it doesn't really require you to alter your food as such. You could basically just, like I said, uh, very simplified you could basically just cut out a meal once a day and just go about the rest of your life the way the way you would usually eat basically now the second one I have put down is calorie counting so calorie counting while and again like I said it's debatable whether you know fasting calorie counting could probably in similar positions you know it's like I said it's still very flexible in the sense that 
while there is a limit to the calories that you're meant to be eating um, and like I said that counts for every diet in a way because we need to be in a calorie deficit but I suppose calorie counting usually means that you have a specific target number that you're trying to get to and within that calorie target you can be very flexible though again you know I mean it's your choice what you want to eat yes there are foods that will make it easier to adhere to a calorie deficit or to calorie counting in general but again this counts really for every diet there's always foods that will probably make it easier for you to adhere to a diet um that foods that will support you more in the lifestyle that you live you know talking about you know also if you're exercising performance wise so you know sometimes it might be a bit easier for or better for somebody to eat a few more carbs in relation to fats and protein um because they exercise a lot so they benefit from having um more more kind of readily like energy readily available for example um and for other people it might be less carbs because you know i mean that's just how they how they feel better um because they might reduce their portions of carbs again we'll get to we'll get to kind of low and low fat and low carb a little bit later but calorie counting in and itself i suppose gives you a limit to stick to like kind of like a, a number to stick to but within that number technically you could eat whatever you want as long as you stuck to that number you would lose fat and you will lose body weight that is the bottom line now, the third one I've put is portion control. So portion control is thinking about your portion sizes. So rather than, you know, fasting or calorie counting, you're looking at every meal that you have, you're looking at the portions that you're eating to decide what, um, yeah, what is best. And I suppose, again, with portion control, technically you could eat any food that you wanted, but you would just have to be mindful of yeah the portion (laughs) for lack of a better word but the size of the meal that you're having and what you're choosing to eat realistically it probably would be ideal to have an awareness of what of the kind of energy density of certain foods to understand what your portion should look like but even if you were to just look at the diet that you have right now, like the, the meals that you usually eat, and if you were just to, for example, decide to only eat three quarters of your usual meal, the whatever your plate looks like, then that would be a reduction in food intake. Whether that is then enough to um, create a calorie deficit or a big enough calorie deficit for you to see results that you are happy with that's another question but again then it might just be like okay so instead of three quarters my portions maybe I need to eat a little bit less again so you know what I mean so just if you were to just look at your portions and even not knowing anything about food technically you could just eat less at each meal and and therefore still have um all the food that is available in the world available to you to eat basically as long as you were aware that you know that you need to eat less of it. Now, um, one, two, three. So the third one, so the third one is a little bit, if you've seen the graphic, <laughs> then you'll see that I've written a couple of ones. But basically, I'm looking at counting fruit and veg or food choices or protein and fiber. Now, what I mean with counting fruit and veg is if you're not somebody that eats a lot of 
fruit and vegetables in your diet or maybe you eat some but you know you kind of want to increase them or you would like to so you're wanting to lose weight but you're also kind of a little bit more conscious of your health and just overall feel then counting fruit and veg can be beneficial because it shifts your focus from just eating or, or making a meal to okay how do I build my meal and for example, if you were to aim to have two portions of fruit and vegetable at each meal, then that is already something that will occupy your plate, basically. And you will then decide what else to have with that. Also, what we then often see is because you are more focused on eating more fruit and veg, which is a more healthful behavior, you know, it's something that you might associate with. Um, yeah just being more healthy it's kind of like similar like you know once you start going to the gym you're feeling a little bit better about yourself and you want to you want to kind of what you want that to be reflected in your in your diet overall so focusing more on fruit and veg is likely to have an effect on your the rest of your food choices as well and that I suppose that brings me on to when I first listed the three so food choices was my second one and food choices basically means that you're trying to um only focus on whole foods so just eating basically like for example you have your two portions of vegetables maybe a little bit of carbs there like you know I mean some potatoes for example and then you have like a chicken breast you know I know this is very simple or like your your typical kind of bro diet meal of uh, brown rice broccoli and chicken for example now this sounds very boring but you know there's obviously other ways to do that as well but just generally like looking at a salad for example having some salad like leaves for example adding whatever kind of vegetables and then a source of protein could be smoked salmon um could be shrimp it could be like I said it could be um poultry any kind of um chicken or it could be beef whatever or it could be plant-based um so for example you might be looking at chickpeas lentils um etc so counting fruit and veg and food choices and then the third one which is probably a little bit more I suppose technical but it's focusing on protein and fiber so protein and fiber very similar to counting your fruit and veg and looking at food choices but you probably would use some sort of tracking to 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 check that you are getting adequate protein and that you are getting um, enough fiber a day so fiber is usually about 30 grams a day that is recommended and then in protein it just really depends um, I tend to just give my clients a general 100 grams of protein a day but it really depends what what a, what it is that you're trying to do like they, it could be higher lower probably not so much really but I suppose you also have to sometimes take into consideration somebody's um, ethical beliefs which I totally think is fine and as long as they understand you know the kind of pros and cons of eating lower protein um, then that's absolutely fine but for some it might be worth having a higher protein intake especially around IVF and when it comes to egg collection if there is um, any kind of um, risk of um, OHSS so the um, overstimulation of the ovaries for example especially for women with PCOS um, or for example if you are resistance training then it might be worth to have a slightly higher protein intake or if you just like it you know some people might just prefer to have a higher protein intake that's absolutely fine but again, within those three options, you still have a lot of options for food. Maybe less so, because, you know, you're now talking about kind of like choosing less processed, less heavily processed foods. Obviously, some foods are still processed. Um, 
but less heavily processed foods um, but you're counting your fruit and veg like I said you, your food choices and then your protein and fiber it's kind of a little bit more strict it like it sets a little bit of a boundary but overall you still have quite a lot of choice when it comes to your food so tracking macros is the next one on the list and I've actually put this twice because I think there's a bit of varying degree of how kind of I suppose anal you can be with it and um Generally speaking, I think for the general population, I just don't think it's really necessary because the kind of split between fats and carbohydrates don't really matter that much. But I suppose if you're kind of tracking your protein and your fiber, you know, you might already, or calorie counting as well, you might already be used to a bit of tracking. Um, So tracking macros, I suppose, can have, um, can be beneficial for some people. And I don't want to dismiss that, especially for those people that do maybe do a bit more serious kind of sports training you know they do need to kind of watch maybe their carbohydrate intake because they need to be fueled adequately um for any kind of performance or training etc so again it depends on how how yeah like i said how you know you want to be with it and how you want to set your targets and does it have to be really specifically to the gram that you're trying to achieve this or are you kind of just setting loose targets or maybe percentages that you want to eat your diet so and so many percent should be carbs should be fats should be um protein but i suppose in that stage it's also important to mention that you know for some people it might be important to track certain bits of their diet in terms of macros and you know i would never say that this has to be for forever but just to be kind of a little bit aware for example of how many fats you eat that might be important for fertility um but yeah, so in general, you know, again, it would be something that you're tracking. Um, macro stacking, I would say, is probably less flexible because you're then really having to think about, especially if you are kind of want to be fairly close to the target that you've set yourself, you then have to really start thinking about how you eat. And I suppose usually what, what happens with that then is that people tend to eat very, like more or less the same foods. Which I suppose is something that can happen in general, even just with calorie tracking or just in general dieting. Because, you know, once we have found something that works, you know, it makes sense to to kind of stick with that. And when I say the same, you know, a lot of people might still just be like, okay, I'm having a salad for lunch, but my salad might look completely different every single day. You know, or it has actually such great variety that, you know, just eating the same salad every day is probably okay because you're actually getting lots of your different vegetables. You may be swapping your protein out in terms of one day you might be having chicken, the next you might be having um salmon like or some sort of some type of fish etc so yeah it really depends again but i think macros tracking is definitely a lot more a lot less flexible because it does require quite a lot of planning it does require quite a lot of food knowledge and i would um, and i would say that food choices are more restricted compared to um other options just because it is probably a little bit harder to go for dinner um and you know to go out like into a restaurant or something and kind of in you know and and obviously know what the macro split of the meeting of the of the meeting <laughs> of the meal is so yeah definitely whereas like i said with the things before like counting fruit and veg or your food choices protein and fiber you'll be able to look at a menu and still kind of see what you know what the what the dishes or the meals are made of mostly and you're still probably able to kind of 
count in some ways or you know see roughly how much how much you have on your plate or with portion control you know even though you might be served a huge plate is you can you can decide how much you want to eat on that plate or with calorie counting you can kind of roughly estimate um obviously with fasting you might decide to fast uh, for a certain period throughout the day to have more room for your dinner whereas like I said with macros tracking it just becomes that little bit more excuse me it just becomes that little bit not just a little bit it just becomes a lot less like less flexible um let's not be around the bush <laughs> then the next one after that is I've written low fat and low carb and again, like I said, with all of them, it's debatable how how you feel there, where they are on the scale of flexibility. But I would say that it is a lot less flexible um, within the context of what I would deem is the average lifestyle of people. Uh, that doesn't mean it's bad or good. I'm just saying that generally speaking with the people that come or my clients that come to me, low fat or low carb is maybe not an ideal way to diet because it means over restriction it means restricting restricting foods that um my clients really like you know usually and probably also in the past that you know they have already tried to restrict massively for days or sometimes you know you know even for a week or so but it always ended then in some sort of a binge of said food and i'd you know if that is you then I would never recommend as a responsible coach I just don't think I can ever recommend to somebody to ever try a low-fat or low-carb diet if that is the reasoning behind it so in my books I would say that that like going for a low-fat or low-carb diet means affording yourself less flexibility in in your food choices now the next one is keto variations in traditional keto now for those of you who don't know keto so keto is is short for a ketogenic diet and i think it's probably important to maybe explain what exactly that means because i think it's also a little bit of a buzzword like it's a little bit of a trendy diet maybe not so much keto i feel like at the moment maybe like one of the kind of really extreme versions like the carnivore diet or I think even in the IVN, IVF context there's a diet called I think it's meant to be pronounced the baby diet but I think it's actually spelled like B-E-B-B-I um, and I thought a lot about about whether I should even mention this diet because I think it's actually yeah okay no I will not I will not judge it right away but it's just the reason I've mentioned this diet is because I've read it in, in one of the, the kind of um, groups that um, I'm in, obviously, and like somebody recommended it. And that's fair enough because maybe that has worked for this person. But yeah, let me just explain generally what the ketogenic diet is. So ketogenic or the state of ketosis that we're trying to get the body in means switching energy systems. So the primary energy system of our body is carbohydrate fueled. So for kind of short bursts of energy, for um, all these things, this is what we use the carbohydrates for or specifically glucose. So carbohydrates get broken down into glucose and they are stored predominantly in our muscles and our liver. And 
this is our primary source for fuel and specifically our brain for example so there is actually a barrier from our body to our brain and it's only glucose that can supply the brain with fuel nothing else can provide fuel to the brain basically so it is very important generally speaking that we eat carbohydrates every day now of course though if you're thinking in an evolutionary perspective at some point you know like obviously food wasn't always available in abundance you know quite the opposite there were spells where you know humans weren't able to eat maybe for hours or even for a couple of days i suppose so the body has a backup system to deal with that and the body has a backup system to create or to use kind of body fat stores and and fat basically for fuel and that is what it means to um, do a ketogenic diet or to be in ketosis you're switching energy systems so you're switching your body from its primary fuel system basically and you're using you're making kind of what is more the emergency um fuel system you're, you're switching that to be the primary system and i know the language around that i suppose kind of sounds a little bit negative but generally like inherently speaking like there's there's nothing necessarily negative about the ketogenic diet um in certain contexts for example with people that have epilepsy it has been shown to to help you you know for I can't explain like all the science around it but it has been shown to be beneficial but I think that is what we need to be really mindful of that that as a very specific population of people that is a very specific group of people that doesn't mean that those positive effects necessarily translate to everybody and that means that everybody should suddenly do a ketogenic or whatever variation of a ketogenic diet and I think that's kind of what I have a little bit of a problem with it's just because the fact is that there isn't really a lot of long-term evidence for ketogenic diets like there is some evidence and there's and you know there's some some things that can be theorized fairly safely that you know we don't know that there is anything severely adverse or anything really bad but to be quite honest all the kind of claims that are made about the ketogenic diet of how amazing it is probably aren't really that true either you know so it's kind of just like anything that is spoken in like big extremes whether it's good or bad it's just often not really founded in in science I suppose or in research and I think that's where we always need to be a little bit careful especially when it comes to nutrition research I feel like I say this all the time but I think sometimes it's never usually just about one single thing you know there's so much a lot of interplay with foods and energy systems and how our metabolism works and um yeah and I think it's just something to be considered but yeah again I just feel like I just went on a big tangent again but hopefully hopefully that was helpful so the reason I've put keto variations and traditional keto as one of the least flexible diets in my little chart or my post is because it takes quite a severe intervention or a severe lifestyle change uh, when it comes to your nutrition. You know, it takes it, like first, it will take a few days and, you know, up to a couple of weeks for you, for like a person to reach the state of ketosis or for your body to switch energy, energy systems. And it's just not really a decision to be taken lightly to just say, oh, I'm just going to do a keto diet, unless there is a specific reason. Because, you know, you're suddenly having to mostly cut out most carbohydrates um you're eating quite 
there's quite a lot of rules around the food that you can eat when it comes to you know um, the meats that you eat or um, you know the kind of very few vegetables that you are allowed and I suppose that's another consideration as well depending on what type of ketogenic diet you do it might become quite imperative that you really understand what nutrients you get from the food that you are then allowed in quote unquote um, that you're then allowed to eat or within within this diet so um like I said, it's just not a decision to be taken lightly, but I also do appreciate that it is something that gets mentioned quite a lot. So it's definitely worth also talking about it. And is it necessarily going to have a detrimental effect? You know, probably not in the long term, If, but I would certainly not recommend anybody doing a ketogenic diet for um, more than is necessary. And like I said, just in the context of weight loss, if this is something that that you think you need to do to help you you know if you need to kind of go to a certain extreme to help you then maybe you do need to try it however like I said there are definitely other ways to to achieve weight loss I think at this point it might also be interesting to mention um, a research study on the ketogenic diet and PCOS and I believe it was done in 2020 so fairly recently and from what I can tell, I thought it was a fairly good um, quality study, I suppose. Um, the caveat to this was that they only had a really small number of participants. So I think they ended up, even though they originally recruited 24, they only ended up with 14 participants. And so they looked at the effects of a ketogenic diet on um, on um, people that have PCOS, basically. And they concluded, and you know, the results showed, you know, lots of um, important markers for PCOS that had decreased or improved, however way you want to see it, that would suggest that the symptoms of PCOS probably would have also um, decreased, I suppose, you know, that the, the women would have maybe suffered less with specific symptoms. So when, we, when we're looking at kind of blood work or whatever, like, you know, it, it did, the, the results that they showed, it did look like as if it had a significant impact um, and would maybe long term help, you know, with kind of ovulation, etc. And they, the, 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 the intervention in the study was 12 weeks long, so they put people on a 12-week-long ketogenic diet. However, like I said, the caveat is that they only ended up really with 14 participants that actually done the full 12 weeks. They did not test anything in the context of fertility. They obviously looked at certain hormones um, that would suggest that you know in terms of fertility in terms of ovulation that you know maybe that would have a positive impact but they didn't specifically investigate that so that's an important caveat to think about as well and also to be quite honest and I haven't compared the exact numbers but I have read other studies where people with PCOS and I just need to say this is people with PCOS who are also overweight so not so not people who have what they call lean PCOS so um but I have also seen similar results or, you know, reported in other studies where people with PCOS were put on a calorie deficit and, you know, and eventually they lost weight and their markers or their markers improved as well. So, and I think that's kind of probably a bit of a caveat of that study as well, but I probably, I think I can link things in, <laughs> in the description boxes or, you know, to this podcast. So I'll link the, I'll link the um, research study that I found with ketogenic diet and PCOS um, as well so that'd be interesting and I think for them as well they kind of concluded that obviously you know they, they recognised that the sample size wasn't representative like you know it was quite small um, 
never mind, you know, there's still an interesting study. And but they had but they didn't really look at the kind of compare com- to compare um, with a ca- calorie deficit, for example, which I think is kind of a bit of an oversight, to be fair, because, like I said, you know, a ketogenic diet only helps you lose weight if you are in a calorie deficit. You know that that will never change. Yeah. So moving on. So the last points I've made are shake diets and meal replacements. So I think the first thing that comes to mind is things like slim fast or I think the one to one diet is where you kind of get like soup powders and, you know, that you can kind of in shakes as well. Or I suppose the one to one diet, I think, also has kind of like um, little bars, like snack bars or whatever as well. So I think, again, and I would say this is probably the least flexible because even with keto, even though that's quite a drastic change that you're making, obviously, to your energy systems and, you know, you're cutting, you're cutting out effectively a food group, a shake diet and meal or meal replaces basically often means that you at least that you don't consume any food for a period of time. So that might just be to, you know, for a few weeks to start with, or that you maybe have mostly shakes, for example, and then kind of eat like one one meal a day. But I just think that is definitely the most restrictive when it comes to still trying to fit in the foods that you like into your diet, um, to still be able to kind of go out for dinner, you know, to still kind of, you know, having have an unplanned day of something, of eating, you know, things like that. So I, I don't think I really need to go into too much detail because I think everybody understands what shake diets and meal replacements are. But what I really want to mention in the context of things like low fat and carb or keto variations or shake diets, and meal replacements. Now, like I said, all of these are still ways to diet. You know, these are, you know, approaches a lot of them are, you know, there is kind of good research that they might help people that are overweight. And we see this all the time in research, you know, so it might be meal replacements, you know, they put them on really low calories, like 1200 calories, and they do meal replacements. And this for people who are quite overweight. So I think sometimes maybe have their BMIs like kind of above 35, at least, if not above 40. And you see them being put on these meal replacements, and um, they lose a lot of weight on that. So in the context of weight loss, that might help. But I think you still also always need to consider what that means for your relationship with food. What do you do once the shake diet or the ketogenic diet is over? Like, what do you do if, let's say, you have successfully lost weight, but what do you do afterwards? Like, what does your eating then look like? Is this... And often, you know, the statistics that are quoted, how like most people regain all the weight that they have lost within like the next three years, that is based on people being overly restrictive or losing a lot of weight in a really overly restrictive way and not actually understanding how to manage their weight long term. Whether that be increasing weight, lowering weight, or my, or, you know, or maintaining their weight, and to be able to maintain their weight loss because they might have lost all this weight and then slowly gained it over three years because they still don't actually understand how to eat, how to navigate, you know, the environment that we are in where food is available twenty four seven. You know, that's just unfortunately what it is. Where there's a lot of temptation, maybe people that struggle with emotional eating or generally have a negative relationship with food none of these diets will ever fix that and I suppose you know neither does calorie counting or anything but I suppose it gives you a little bit more of a context to learn about food and it just gives you a little bit more yeah just more flexibility to kind of still 
to understand, you know, what does eating eating look like every day um, for you, and what does what does that same food that you are usually eating look like in a calorie deficit? You know, so like I said, or with fasting, like I said, you you know, you could or portion control. You can basically just adjust whatever you're eating just now um, to fit your calories or to fit the portion size that you're trying to um, adhere to, and it wouldn't really require doing anything very drastic and I think especially and I've already mentioned this obviously with foods that you really like and that you know trying to over restrict will almost always end up in wanting to eat it even more crave it even more and will end up in overeating and I think that is what I really want to avoid and I see this so so often you know that people come to me and say well you know I've tried everything but it just kind of just made me just made me worse you know and that is where we kind of go into yo-yo dieting where people have tried everything they get more and more extreme and more and more restrictive every year or every time they try to lose weight only to end up um you know having a really negative relationship with food and being completely frustrated with dieting and basically don't want anything to do with dieting however they are now faced with a situation that they have to lose weight to be able to fulfill this huge 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 wish you know to become a parent and I think I just don't think that keto or low-fat carb or shake diets are really is really the answer for to to those situations or to those struggles and I totally understand why I totally understand why they're you know like your mind might jump to that so if you're somebody in the situation I totally understand why your mind might jump to that because you might think oh well I'll just try it again or you know you get like a little bit more motivation you kind of just think okay no but this time I can really do it and this time you know you know trying to get pregnant is such a huge wish that will be that's only the only motivation that I need but again I see so many people then try that but again and just you know really get frustrated and with themselves I suppose and then say well but if that is such a huge wish why do I still find it so hard to lose weight and it's often very very often nine times out of ten the approach that they are taking the approach to start with but also that they don't afford themselves any kind of compassion that they don't really have the support or the accountability you know I mean to help them through um through you know digging through and the history of dieting that they have what that has done to their mindset what that has done to their knowledge of nutrition and food and yeah and you know and like they don't really know how to really improve that so yeah after this I think it should be very clear what my preferences are I suppose when it comes to how I work with my clients um you know I by no means would ever say that you know a calorie calorie counting is the only approach absolutely not most of my clients do not track calories actually and it's much more about trying to really get people to to eat proper meals <laughs> and you know and to find to find ways to create deficits to hone to hunger levels and to find ways to create deficit deficits with just the food that we usually eat but also and this is the final point that I'm going to make we also do need to consider fertility obviously because that's what we're here for and if you want, and if if weight loss, if you have a lot of time and you can just focus on weight loss to start with, fantastic, that's okay, you know what I mean? Do what works for you. However, if you are closer to treatment, it does really matter the approach that you're using to weight loss. Anything that is extremely low energy, I would not recommend. 
anything, even dieting too close to your treatment, I would not recommend. I actually seen a recent example on Instagram of a girl which I thought was really interesting because I think she chose to do a ketogenic diet you know like I said it's always your choice whatever you choose but she chose to do a ketogenic diet because it helped her with her ovulation I think she also has PCOS um and it helped to kind of like regulate her periods etc again just you know losing weight and being in a calorie deficit um so that was helpful to her but she also then recognized that you know a few months out from actual IVF treatment she needs to kind of stop ketogenic diets and she needs to kind of focus more on the nutrients that she gets from all food sources um, to try and build that up and to really focus on egg health um, and yeah and I just thought that was a really really good example of maybe how someone might approach that so you know if you want to do something more drastic then you know like I said it's always your choice um but do at least consider then you know that three months period before your IVF treatment starts and bring it back to you know kind of more of a balanced nutritious healthy diet but I suppose the caveat is if you've never learned how to balance your diet how to eat even at maintenance how to eat vegetables how to eat all to get all the good things into your diet then I would question again why go for something so extreme to to lose weight and why not try an approach that teaches you um, how to do things properly anyway this is going to be a mega long podcast I have a feeling I'm not quite sure how long this was anyway thank you so much for listening to me if you have made it this far very well done uh, I really appreciate you being here and I really appreciate you listening to this and I also really hope this was useful please 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 um, send me some feedback um via instagram preferably just you know just shoot me a dm and and let me know that you've listened to this um i would really appreciate that just to kind of understand <laughs> who's listening if somebody's listening and if this is useful and yeah let me know what else you kind of want to uh what you what you want to hear so if this is your first time here then you can find me on instagram at aw nutrition underscore on facebook at aw nutrition one uh, or you can go to my website at www.aw-nutrition.com i had to think about that one for a second but yeah please uh, like subscribe share the podcast if you found this useful and i will speak to you soon bye